Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Oh boy, Wizard and the Bruiser is going back out on the road with page seven. That's right, round two of Release the Butthole Cut Tour. Holton. When's that happening? June 21st will be in Portland, Oregon. June 22nd, Tacoma, Washington. July 11th, Oklahoma City. July 12th, Kansas City. July 13th will be in St. Louis, Missouri. Where can we get tickets, Jake? Lastpodcastnetwork.com. Get your tickets at lastpodcastnetwork.com. Some things you can't refuse. She want to ride me like a cruise. And I'm not trying to lose. And hey. And then you left in the dust. Hey, it's me. It's Spider-Ham. You're the Bruiser, Holden McNeely. Welcome. First of all, Holden, you look and act and are Peter B. Parker (laughs) so much. You are literally Peter B. Parker. No, you are I'm middle-aged. Not. I'm you're Spider-Ham. You're, you're you had a like, bruiser. You had a weird relationship with having kids, <laughs> and now you're happier <laughs> for it. You are the most Peter B. Parker any human being has ever been, and I refuse to give you the wackety-schmackety All Spider-Ham right, fine. Intro. I'm that guy. I'll take it. I'll be Spy- Spider-Man. You love cheeseburgers. <laughs> well, who it's are you then, there. Jake? Uh, oh, I'm definitely Spider-Man what? Noir. I love uh, egg creams and punching nazis. Uh, the wind follows me wherever I go. The wind smells like rain. I burn matches down to my fingers just so I can <laughs> feel something. I don't know what colors are. I'm voiced by Nicolas Cage. I'm I'm a little insulted you didn't see it right from the get-go. And yes, that's right. Today we're talking about Into the Spider-Verse. A damn fine movie, Jake. Wouldn't you know it? A damn fine movie. Holden, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now. As as long as I have been alive, I have as long as they have attempted superhero movies, I had always said to anybody who would listen within earshot, why do they keep trying and failing to make these superhero movies in live action? It's always compromised, even when it's like the best. Superhero movies that they can make are the ones that just go ahead and borrow the tone and kind of surreality and kind of bombacity of the comics. These this genre was built for an animated movie. This this genre of was like handmade 
for 3D animation. This is it's it's such a no-brainer. The Incredibles came out, proved just how good these superhero stories can be in animation. It was like the last before uh into the Spider-Verse. I keep wanting to say enter the Spider-Verse. Forgive me if I get it wrong a bunch of times. But like before Into the Spider-Verse, the last major theatrical release of a superhero animated movie was Mask of the Phantasm. And that was great, too. It's there's something so beautiful and great about combining the uh, static graphic sequential art of a comic book and giving it the fluidity and kind of uh, filmmaking cinematography of a movie. And the way to do that is animation. And nobody got it right until this movie and it was just tight funny heartfelt visually dynamic it was uh it was full of easter eggs and kind of like congratulation winks and handshakes for people that love the comics it has this whole meta commentary where like they're stealing shots and moments from the original Sam Raimi movies. It's just such a perfect little nugget of a movie, a love letter to superhero movies, just a perfect distillation of what you can do with them. And the fact that the sequel is coming out and I'm so excited for it. I just, you know, this movie revolutionized a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, we're finally getting more interesting CG animated movies. Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is one that came yeah. out recently that heavily borrows the limited uh, frames and the graphic styles and the kind of 2D flourishes upon the 3D You want to hear something crazy, Jake? If you had asked me before we went into the research for this how they did the animation for this movie, I would have told you it was some kind of mix between computer animation and the type of rotoscoping technique you find in films like Waking Life. And the mm. reason why that is, is because the animation, the hand-drawn side of it, and the computer animation side of it, is so damn good that I actually thought it was filmed actors that they just like, like that's how well, and, and it wasn't until like I saw breakdown videos of the detailed mm -hmm. little elements of how they did just struck like skeletal systems and body movements that were so fine-tuned to exactly how a human really moves they're so brilliantly done that, and and there's just a million of them happening in every fucking little frame change it's just shocking like and and i really really appreciated this movie so much more watching it again for this episode because i knew so much that was behind it but also, I really was so much more observant of those little tiny details and just how immaculate they come off. I swear to God, I, 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 I thought it was filmed actors with just uh, a splash of paint thrown <laughs> over them. You know what I mean? It's it's crazy how how uh, how well the, the how well the animators pull it off. A really cool movie too on the heels of our last episode, which was Little Mermaid, in terms of just the evolution of animation techniques and where we've gotten mm -hmm. to with computer animation and stuff. Oh no! It was absolutely a deliberate attempt to finally break the Pixar, the quote-unquote Pixar look that had become yeah. dominant in so many animated pictures where to the point where if you took a still frame of the same like kind of doe-eyed uh, skinny lady uh, in all of these films, you wouldn't be able to tell if it was DreamWorks, if it was Sony, if it was Illumination, if it was Pixar, if it was Vivid Disney. video, yeah, any yeah, of that It stuff. all blurred together. And one of the things that really just makes this movie perfect, so perfect that I'm a little bit scared for the sequel, 
because it might be just a one in a million combination of talents where you got all of these like outsider kind of avant-garde graphic artists then having their work handed over to these like people that worked on the emoji movie and dorks and the angry birds movie, like all this like pure drivel for children. And with uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller at the helm, who I just absolutely adore. I think they're my two favorite filmmakers of all time at this point. You know, they did the Lego movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street. They're just, their record is so impeccable. They did the original Clone High series. Like, they just get a specific, like, whatever the whatever heartstrings are in my decrepit elder millennial heart, they can just play them like a fucking fiddle. And I just love the way they put stories together. I, at one point, literally just sat back and just thought to myself, Lord and Miller, what in the fuck, man? Because, (laughs) like, it's also they're taking things that seem really challenging to turn into a hit film, Mm -hmm. giant, like, not just a hit, biggest movie of the year franchise thing. Like, the Lego movie, the challenge of that. Had no right to be that Not at all. Had no right. It's, it's, and it's in so, so incredibly good. And this is no different. I mean, to come in, take Spider-Man, first of all, that's already had two reboots up to that point and was not in a good place critically with audiences at all after the uh, Andrew Garfield movie, the second Andrew Garfield movie especially. Oh and and uh, so it was already like something that felt played out, that felt... Like they were at kind of a, a wall that, that felt like they should take more time away from that franchise, even uh, to like to like make it fresh in people's minds again. And instead, literally, they had to give up the character back to Marvel out of necessity, yeah. like the entire WikiLeaks email hack that, uh, you know, kind of blew, just revealed how many of these high-level movie executives just had spaghetti overflowing in their pockets. Just an embarrassing, embarrassing company just mishandling this character, having no clue what makes them appealing, to the point where other movie companies were, like, begging them to just please make anything decent because they were shitting the bed so hard and hurting the entire, like, movement of superhero movies around them. And out of nowhere, this movie comes in, hits like a fucking Mack truck, becomes a huge hit on Netflix, becomes a huge hit on streaming, and just like thousands of pieces of fan art, thousands of pieces of merchandise later. Just, again, it's, how many minutes is this thing? It's just like 117 minutes, tight as a drum. All the characters have great arcs. It like plays with the Spider-Man mythos and yet everything is familiar immediately, even without stepping on any established toes. Everything's like kind of a sideways version of these characters. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's just maybe my favorite superhero movie. Yeah. Of all time. Uh, James Gunn has been uh, has apparently said that as well. Uh, his favorite. Um, I, I it's hard to disagree. It also does the thing like what I, what I love in a certain horror movies when I I love a horror movie where I I'm enjoying the like just the characters in the world so much that like before the horror stuff starts happening, uh, uh, I'm just feel like I'm just having a great time watching this movie even though the horror element of it hasn't even started yet. Well, with in, Into the Spider Verse, like before we get all the amazing Spider Verse characters 
and all that stuff going on and those big ac- those those big action set pieces and everything. I, I'm just like I, I could have just watched this Miles Morales guy, yeah, kid, you know, uh, become Spider Man and and his journey with that, and then like all that twist happens with all those fucking great characters. Uh, uh, and it's, it just keeps the movie rolling at such a pace of momentum. I think one thing I was thinking earlier too, while well, I was taking a fat piss, um, I was pissing so hard to the point where I thought I was going to have to call somebody. Like I thought that was going to start coming out the bowl. <laughs> and I was thinking about how, uh, you know, that movie is just so confidently done and competently done and it's inherent in the whole thing. And even the way the movie starts with miles, yeah, he's fish out of water at this new school and having confidence issues there. But you meet him and like instead of this like meek, nerdy Peter Parker character, you've got this kid who's like kind of cool and like confident and, you know, and then you see where where he's struggling because he, they they I mean, I wouldn't call him confident if especially the uh Hey, a scene really uh, deals with his very childlike insecurity. Well, when he's in his but, element at the old school that he was. Oh wait, what's that line from that uh, from that bad video game review? He has the exaggerated swagger of a black. <laughs> well, he's got like <laughs> when he's in his element, you're still like this is not your Peter Parker, right? This is not your same, right. and we're not going to get the same. And even though we do even get the like guy in the not full-on Spider-Man costume running upstairs to get to the top of the building to try jumping and all that kind of stuff that's even in that first Sam Raimi movie. It it just feels so fresh and new and different, and it's so hard to do that with Spider-Man. And everything about this is airtight. Script is airtight. All of the voice acting is just so top-notch. The... The heart, exactly, the heart of it is so present and and realized so wonderfully in this movie with the relationship with his father and his uncle. You made me realize a very important thing that I didn't quite, I didn't like put together until you said like the way the movie begins. This is, if you ask me like, what is the one thing that is so overdone in superhero movies? Without hesitation, I'd say origin stories. I'm like, we're done with them. We all know these characters. Stop wasting everybody's time with these origin stories. This is an origin story yes. movie, and it opens literally with the with one of this whatever they call this version, uh, Miles's version of uh, the original Spider Man, saying, "All right, one more yeah. time." Like from the second one, they're like, "We know you're sick of origin yeah. stories. We know you've heard Spider Man's origin a million times, but like, hear us out. You're gonna need this information." And it like at once like rewards people, or at least assuages people who have watched a million superhero origins and gets people who actually don't know the origin on board in this incredibly, the, the origin montage with the comic book cover is such a brilliant little device that comes back over and over again throughout the movie to the point where when miles finally like falls slash ascends slash takes the leap of faith, you know, the whole what's up danger, his like cemented confidence is, portrayed as him getting his own comic book origin cover it's just there's so many little payoffs like that it's just mm, and you just mentioned uh one of the songs the soundtrack is just phenomenal and just feels like even for me i'm like yeah man you gave us like what the kids are listening to and it's (laughs) like competent and you know i feel like we've gotten that in some other marvel films 
Black Panther is a good example of that. But for the most part, it was it was even that was so refreshing. I feel like it that they didn't, you know, I think that they could only do that in an animated film more so than a standard MCU film, which needs more of a sweeping action score that ties into that, uh, you know, Avengers and instead in this it's a mixtape of just fantastic modern pop and rap tracks that like uh, completely just give the whole thing so much like style and flair I mean I don't want to blow up your spot but like literally the the composer Daniel He's Pemberton great. he took his composed soundtrack specifically pressed it onto vinyl and then re-recorded it with a professional like DJ MC oh, to yeah. add scratches and do all that stuff to give it like that extra uh, authenticity of the streets. Yeah, yeah, for I I I feel that. That that's great, but it does feel so authentic. Like his, his story feels authentic. I just think they did did it so well that like it's undeniable and they even do shit that annoying people get really annoyed at with Marvel comics now because, you know, representation, right? It's so awful, right? Mm -hmm. But they do the thing where it's like, here's a uh, a black and Hispanic uh, Spider-Man. Here's a lady Octavius, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But they completely pull it off and even use it in their favor, you know, when it comes to like, his characterization just being so different from Peter Parker is a breath of fresh air. The the using the switchadoo gender switchadoo for uh, Doc Ock being a, p- a part of a twist reveal moment as a, 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 like a fooled you moment, which felt made it feel more necessary that that oh, ca- yeah. that casting change. Uh, it just all works. So even that shit that usually gets you know a bunch of flack from, again, annoying people online. Like, they just completely pull it off and make it so, like, absolutely necessary for the story. It's so, like, it's such a fucking beautiful machine. And honestly, Jake, I've heard very early on, and this is the curse of the show, too, anyways, that the movie would be bad, but I have seen that early reactions for this new movie are like very strong and very positive. So oh, that is God. really cool. But oh, let's God. get into it. Let's get into how this fucking movie was made. Cause the animation shit is insane. Uh, how, how this even got, got entered into the pipeline to be made is insane. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, a 2018 computer animated film featuring Miles Morales as Spider-Man directed by Bob, uh, Persichetti? Persichetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put a little marinara stink on it. There you go. Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman with the script written by Rothman and Phil Lord. Uh, But you have Christopher Miller in there on uh, the production end and on the kind of inception of the idea, the story, everything. So let's talk about the duo, the team that really, really this got started from Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Spider-Man was in a weird, weird place <laughs> in mid the mid-2010s, you know? Which is interesting to look back on now because of how beloved of a superhero is, but it's even weird back then because Spider-Man is one of the tentpole superheroes of all time will always be. Well, it's actually weird enough because after, like, this started and this was during when Marvel... Well, I'm, you'll get into it, but, like, as of this recording... Spider-Man is back into exclusive Sony hands. So like Spider-Man is once again in this weird limbo in terms of the cinematic universe. Yep. Because that second Andrew Garfield helmed Spider-Man 
And it's by the way, not he's great too. I like Andrew Garfield a lot. But yeah, he was great. Everybody sucked. loved it. Yeah. When uh, what was it called? Uh, no Way Home. Yeah, or which, whatever, whatever it one it was. Yeah, No Way Home. I think where he was amazing in that. For sure, yeah. He redeemed his entire franchise By the way, in that it, one performance. Total sidestep, but is is not the whole multiverse thing and that movie uh, being a massive hit, doesn't it all kind of come from this, like sparking the multiverse shit? I mean, were they already planning on a multiverse so, thing to happen? It's a complicated thing, but as revealed in the uh, kind of in the leaks there was this this uh this aberrant thing where you know marvel during its failing years as a comic book company uh sold its rights to various people with mixed results you know we got the sam raimi spider-man movies from sony and those were amazing we got the uh x-men movies the brian singer alleged Brian Singer, um, <laughs> X-Men movies that were also great. And then there was like all these weird hiccups and mistakes along the line. And Marvel had to go ahead in 2008 and step up, borrow money and like make their own movie with Iron Man. And it turned into a bajillion dollar franchise. And so now we had this Marvel Cinematic Universe that was weirdly missing Spider-Man and the X-Men. Yeah. And at this point, Leighton, you know, these... Uh, these other studios were like, well, we got to cash in on this. And Sony was obsessed with turning. I think it was Avi Arad, whose name has come up a ton of times whenever we talked uh, about yeah. uh, Spider-Man media. Avi Arad was like, we got to make this a whole ass franchise. We got to make this the Venom movie. This is where the Morbius movie comes in, because these are all Spider-Man adjacent characters that they have access to. And the result of that was the amazing Spider-Man with um, Andrew Garfield. First one, kind of meh, but, you know, people were hopeful for the sequel, and the sequel was pretty awful. Yeah. I still remember the little web hand reaching out, trying to save Gwen Stacy at the end. Awful, awful. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In the leaked emails, like you just have these executives who just have no idea what they're doing. This is uh, someone, this is one executive sending an email to Amy Pascal, the uh, head of Sony Pictures at the time. This is in 2013. And says, uh, hey, Amy, just a couple of thoughts. A rising trend we see with millennials are really extreme forms of experiential exercise, like the Tough mutter and Color Run and uh, Hot Power Yoga. Millennials will often post NBD on their social media after doing it. <laughs> also known as No Big Deal. <laughs> Wondering if Spidey could get into that in some way. He's athletic, bendy, strong, and intense, and it's all... NBD to him, of course. Uh. 
<laughs> Millennials are also into EDM, parentheses, oh electronic God. dance music. Oh my Wondering, God. is there an EDM angle somewhere with Spidey? <laughs> it would be awesome if Spider-Man had a killer DJ behind him. And then his last note, Snapchat has launched a story functionality. Oh, Jesus. It has a very VIP quality about it. Getting invited into Spidey's Snapchat circle would be huge. Very buzzworthy. Like, they had no fucking clue what anybody actually wanted. Yeah, just totally lost. And it makes sense. And it's also just so awkward to have already a run of Spider-Man in the can that ended on a pretty sour note with the third film. Right, even though it was like it really was the first statement that superhero movies and franchises could be a smash hit in the box office with that first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire directed by Sam Raimi. But then to have them reboot it and then fail again mm. and stop short again and with planned sequels is such an awkward look for the character because then it's just like, wait, is it the character? I mean, people I think would start to think or also like, don't reboot it again. I don't want to see him learn how to be Spider-Man again. Like, it's just not interesting. And it seemed like it was almost in the contract that if you were going to reboot a character, we had to go through the same plotting process of them going from being nerdy Peter Parker with the crush on the girl getting bullied in high school <laughs> to being Spider-Man and all the responsibility and everything and the same, those same story beats. And... You know, it's like, I don't even care if you do this differently in an interesting way. I just don't want to see it again. Mm -hmm. And so, so this character is in need of a refresh. This doesn't exactly mean a reboot, at least not yet. And that is why Sony Pictures co-chairman Amy Pascal and President Doug Belgrad sought out comedy writing team Phil Lord and Christopher Miller to make an animated film centered around the hero. Lord and Miller are responsible for, we already said it, big box office successes, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Uh, that was kind of the proving ground too, because right. again, like, how was that movie going to be the 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 one of the biggest kids movies of the year? But it was the Lego Movie and Twenty One Jump Street, a movie so good it convinced Kanye to like Jews again. <laughs> I Lord forgot is, about that. I forgot about that little <laughs> piece of did yeah. you know trivia? Oh uh, yeah, Lord is from Miami and Miller is from Seattle, so quite different backgrounds. Miller's father runs a lumber mill. Lord's father directed a dance company. They met at Dartmouth College as they each had a comic running in the school paper. That paper published a profile on Christopher Miller, and this profile, some fucking how, catches the attention of Michael Eisner. Another weird, like we just talked about this mm. guy so much in the Little Mermaid episode. Then chairman of Disney, of course, who invited him to take a meeting over with them. Miller agrees as long as he's allowed to bring Phil Lord. Uh, and the two are offered a two-year development deal leading to them moving to Los Angeles. And this may sound like some Hollywood fairy tale, but then they hit several years where they can't get anything off the ground. None of their pitches make it to air. They end up producing a pilot for an animated show about clones of historical figures attending high school that is dropped by Fox. This is called Clone High. Way, way and back Clone in the High. 1980s, oh, secret so government good. employees. Wait, isn't it coming back? Guy. Yeah, it's coming back on Max. Uh, the first episode leaked. It was a little rough around the edges, but uh, I'm still slightly hopeful for it. I am very hopeful because I loved Clone High when it was introduced to me in college. Uh, it was very short-lived. It's, it's canceled after 13 episodes. 
Try to dig up, if you haven't seen Clone High before, it is surprisingly fucking hilarious and you will absolutely love it. And it's just 13 episodes. Maybe don't watch it if you're an Indian nationalist and <laughs> hate seeing irreverent portrayals of Mahatma Gandhi. Right, I don't know how well. Because that got them in deep shit. I don't know how well some stuff holds up in that sense, but I just, all I know is I remember absolutely loving that show and being like, I cannot believe there's not more of this or that this is not more popular as it was introduced to me in kind of a cultish like sense in college. Oh no, I was in a cult in college. By funny. the way, I had to um, spread bear my my genitals once a week for the uh, pruning. Yeah, yeah, I was in a cult. Holden, I think that's just a normal frat. <laughs> I think you were just in a normal, socially acceptable American fraternity. Then they write "Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs," and off of the success of that, they do Twenty One Jump Street. Then they do the Lego movie and become known as this reliable comedy writing team in Hollywood. They can kind of pull some shit out of their ass like, and make things way more successful than they really have a right to be. I think that's probably why they get tapped by Sony to come in and try to give this a refresh because it's like, because again, I think we all saw the trailer for a 21 Jump Street movie at the time that that came out was like, there's no way that can be good. And then it was really good. <laughs> and I think it's like the same thing. And then the Lego movie was just such a smash hit that should have probably been like more like an emoji movie and was instead this incredibly well done, well, well thought. Like also too, I think with the Lego movie, it's like, man, they took this concept and made it so much more interesting mm-hmm. than anyone else would have. And and really cracked a code on this that is just seems impenetrable to someone like me, at least. So back to Sony Pictures, a company confused about what to do next with Spider-Man and their effort to change everything by contacting Lord and Miller. Phil Lord said, I mean, everything started with Miles and it started with the idea that we wanted to make a completely different kind of superhero movie. And what are the moves that we could do that would shake up a Spider-Man story? It started with, well, it should be somebody different in the suit. And we love Miles' comic. And we love his relationship with his family. And we thought that was such a refreshing way to look at the character. So we went to that. And from there, we wondered, gosh, to make it like a movie event, there's something neat about him crashing, or rather, Peter crashing into Miles' world for a little bit. Let's see where he's at a little bit later in his career. Uh, Which is, again, just enough to be like, Thank you. We don't have high school kid Peter. We've got adult Peter. Totally interesting take in that way. And uh, he also said, that seemed like suddenly, you know, a movie has to be about a relationship. In this case, it's about a lot of relationships. But what would be the relationship you'd be following across the movie? That's why it felt important to bring Peter into it and see what they could learn from one another. Chris Miller said, another thing that really excited us from the beginning was the opportunity that doing a movie with comic book origins as an animated movie allowed for making a visual style that you've never seen before. To try and make it something that felt like you were walking into the pages of a comic book. Turned out to be way harder than we even expected, but the idea from the beginning was like, well... Why can't we make it look like this, like this piece of art, not inspired by this piece of art, but actually look like a moving version of this piece of art? And it ended up being a very complicated mashup of CG animation and 2D hand-draw animation, we'll get into it a little bit, and a bunch of new software to render textures in a stylistic and hand-painted style. The end result was that any frame that you pause will look like a painting, done by an artist by hand. That was what we wanted to do, sort of honor the legacy that it came from. 
So that's how they kind of get the ball rolling with this stuff. So it's an interesting era for Spider-Man because a lot of fun stuff is happening in the comics. Dan Slott is in the middle of his amazing run and they're doing stories like Spider Island and, of course, uh, introducing the Spider-Verse and, you know, alternate versions of Spider-Man all hanging out together. And you have um, in the Ultimate Universe, Miles Morales, who was introduced around 2008 with the... uh, this is explicitly said by the uh, editor-in-chief, Axel Alonso, at the time, that, you know, uh, Obama was elected president. Like, you know, the uh, limits for what a American icon can be had been blown clear off. And at around this time, uh, Brian Michael Bendis had started Ultimate Spider-Man as this, like, kind of jumping on point as this simplified newer version of the character that people could like get a, you know, learn to love and follow without all the baggage of this 616 mainstream universe. By this time, he, I don't know if he had reached this part officially yet, but he was one of the longest running single writer runs in comic book history. Mm. Like, you know, by this time, Ultimate Spider-Man was as convoluted and as uh, baggaged up as any fictional character could be. So it was a amazing jumping off point for them to kind of reboot the character. They killed off the Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe and replaced him with Miles Morales and... For a while, it was kind of touch and go with this character. Like people loved the idea of him, but they never quite, it never quite reflected it in the sales. Obviously, comic book sales figures ha- are always like really dismal compared to more multimedia uh, properties. You know, we're talking like tens of thousands of copies sold instead of like millions and millions of people coming to see movies or watch TV shows. But You know, uh, Donald Glover made a very famous online viral push to play the Uh character. Uh, There was, uh, you know, he would actually show up or he would appear in Spider-Man T-shirts on Community. And, you know, people were really hungry for this character to break through in a way that I feel like Lord and Miller definitely were aware of at the time. And combining the Spider-Verse series kind of took this idea that like, all right, Spider-Man is already in a weird place canonically with all these movies, with the MCU happening, with all the, you know, like we literally can only play with Spider-Man in this story. So like we got to play with every kind of Spider-Man we have at the table. It breaks, it it really like solved a lot of creative, uh, creative challenges that they had going into this. Um, You mentioned that they had to innovate had to make something that didn't look like anything else that ever was made. And that's when an artist by the name of Alberto Mielgo uh, enters the picture. He was hired at around, let's see, if the movie came out in 2018, so probably around 2015, uh, he uh, worked on a lot of projects. He worked on the animation for Beatles Rock Band, which I know is one of your favorite rhythm games. Mm -hmm. And he was the uh, production designer, art designer, whatever you want to call it, for Tron Uprising, Mm. which was an incredibly innovative CG animated show on Disney that really kind of like took what was bog standard CG style and elevated to this like hyper cool, hyper stylistic thing that uh, for, you know, it won an Emmy Award, it won animation awards. People, if you, if you know, you know, Tron Uprising was some good ass shit. So he was hired in around 2015 to start kind of doing early animation tests and to try and like refine 
what this look, what this new kind of heretofore unknown non-Pixar animated movie could look like. And he had like basically every artist's dream. He had his own two stories of like production space to work with. He kept hiring all of his friends and mentors and influences to help him to join his art team. He got a full expense paid trip to New York City to like get on exclusive like high rise building tours and take photos of everything. And the end result was basically just two minutes of animation test footage, but it has almost everything that we think of as the what makes the uh, Into the Spider-Verse style distinctive, that kind of like cool uh, purpley blue, uh, you know, neon aesthetic, the print dots kind of filling in for or, you know, uh, for like camera blur. Uh, even really iconic shots like the way uh, Miles jumps off the building is in that initial shot. The intercutting individual hand-drawn frames mm. into the CG action. Uh, even things in just like how Miles, like, yeah, there's a scene in this initial test footage where it shows uh, Peter Parker, like, elegantly climbing the walls of a building while Miles takes the stairs. There's tons and tons of individual shots from this test footage that definitely made it into uh, the final pr- uh, product in a lot of ways. Gwen Stacy's design, where she's kind of punkier, kind of like a little rougher around the edges than the like perfect pretty blonde woman that she appears in as the comics, starts with his initial sketches. Um, they veer from a lot of different things as well. There is like this larger than life kind of extravagance to a lot of Mielgo's art. He'll later go on to direct um, The Witness for Netflix's uh, Love, Sex, and Robots, if you're familiar with that uh, short, as well as, I believe it's called The Jabara on another season of that. He's doing fine, but, but he what, genuinely yeah, talks about- What happened to, to him? Uh, well, he was given unlimited resources and millions of dollars, and what he ended up with was this very like punky, edgy, aesthetically dynamic thing that just had no place in a modern kids movie. It needed to be softened up just a little. Okay, and so um, he uh, basically got the word after two years that he was going to be let go. Uh, his original team was also going to be let go. He apparently, I couldn't find it. He posted a like bridge burning uh, rage rant on his Facebook page. Oh God. But you can now find a lot of this uh, test animation and a lot of these concept arts uh, on his personal portfolio page at albertomielgo.com. And he is now thankful that he got to be a part of this. And he understands that animation is the most collaborative ass form of storytelling you could possibly engage in. And he can't take full credit for anything in the movie. And that he just laid the visual groundwork for like what was going to be this movie. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. But yeah, it's uh, in the end, he was in the credits and listed as visual consultant not production or art designer. So as we mentioned before, let's stick with the animation. We'll get back to the script in a little bit. But the uh, in terms of the animation, the movie, of course, a mix of hand-drawn animation, computer-generated an- animation. It gives it this very saturated but hyper-realistic look to the point where I thought it was rotoscoping. The hand-drawn aspect was partially to get around the sort of sameness that happens in pure CGI-generated works because, uh, well, I'll just say, I'll just read the quote from Persichetti. In CGI films, many things you see on screen are the result of the desire to automate the process. Simulations for hair, cloth, wind, rain, etc. So there you go. It's This automation makes things look a little too repetitive. He also said, it's a me, it's a Mario. That's a uh, lie. They, <laughs> I know, I don't know why I would say that. I think it's just the Italian coming out of him. They, they wanted every moment of the movie to look like a frame straight out of a comic book, as I mentioned before. And uh, so an early decision uh, f- in order to get to that effect was concerning the elimination of motion blur. Persichetti said, when we decided to strip out motion blur, the people at Imageworks said, that's not going to work. You won't be happy. We said, no, that's the goal. Make us unhappy. Then figure out a new way to make us happy. We're creating incredible images in this movie, and we want to see them as clearly as possible. So let's not soften them. But then they also add comic book technique uh, effects to the just the drawing to give that motion blur effect. So instead of it being a CG effect, it's actually an old school um, motion line drawing kind of. I, I noticed it at the end of the movie the most, where I was like, "Oh well, if you freeze that right there, like they want you to do, it's it's the detail and how they drew the character with these like really wild lines around them to give this idea of mm-hmm. motion happening without that motion blur effect that I think you can Holden, kind of visualize. You, and, yeah. if, if I get started, I don't know if I'll be able to stop I know. the myriad of ways it's and so techniques insane. they used in this movie. Um, besides just adding action lines and kind of zip lines that you kind of see in a movie, or I'm sorry, in a comic book to denote motion on a still page, uh, they did all sorts of crazy shit. Uh, like you said, they got rid of motion blur, but that means when they wanted to show quick action in between key poses, they used all sorts of classic animation techniques like smear frames, which is if you've ever been online and seen like Bugs Bunny and his face looks like he's melting, that's a way they could show quick motion in the limited frames given on a standard film. Uh, doubles, where you saw multiple versions of a character's limb moving in the arc that they're supposed to move into. Um, the characters themselves use a lot of expressive facial lines where like in a Pixar movie, they'd have to like actually mold the brow furrowing and like do all the things to see the face morph where they used machine learning AI. If you want to be a fucking scam artist about it, where they actually could have the computer trained on illustrations of the characters and know that like, if the character's angry, you'll see like a, you know, a little frowny line. If you, you know, it actually added to the hand-drawn aesthetic, even when it was uh, computer animated. Another great thing they did, which is such a, ooh, this one really hit me hard, um, to 
get rid of or to you instead of like having things blur in and out of focus, because that's not a really a thing you can do in a uh, comic book um, or at least with a pen and ink drawn yeah. comic book. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that they combined two individual uh, effects that are known in filmmaking and comics publishing where to get things out of focus, they would separate the colors and kind of get like ghosting effects on things. And so the things they wanted blurred would be out of focus by this color thing. This is known in photography as chromatic aberration. It's an effect where if your lenses aren't properly aligned, the light will scatter in a way that everything gets these like blurry, colorful halos over everything. But they then took that effect and stylized it so that it looked like when print colors were out of were out of alignment, because when comic books were being published as cheaply and quickly as possible with old analog printing technology, uh, sometimes the CMYK color passes would not be aligned perfectly. And you would have like Spider-Man's costume being like a millimeter off and kind of floating outside of his uh, body because the red and blue pass or uh, magenta and cyan, I'd, whatever. I'm not a comics publisher. But they combined these two well-known kind of grungy effects from like kind of uh, more outsider art and combined them in this way in this movie that reflected uh, Miles's own like kind of, uh, you know, his shoes are untied. He's a graffiti artist. He's like awkward. He's messy. He's like, you know, still coming into his own. So brilliant. Um, The fact that like once he's bitten by the spider, you get to see like thought balloons and caption panels like you would in a comic book. Oh God, I'm, I'm, there's like more. There's so many more. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you the prompt that I need. I need you to explain this to me because I think I understand it, but you're going to do a much better uh, job of getting it across. Hit me with the ones and the twos, Jake. Okay, so this is uh, just an animation thing where uh, your average role, unless you are watching Avatar 2: The Way of Water in high frame rate. Every movie will be projected at 24 frames per second. That like weird uh, kind of that thing where you like, oh, this feels like a soap opera versus this feels like a movie is that 24 frames per second. Uh, A lot of people claim that like high quality animation like Disney would animate on every single frame. That is a lie. They would not do that. That would be uh, that would break everybody's hands. Maybe in something like a high class anime or like one or two shots in a Disney movie, they would animate on the ones. And that's for like a very specific effect. But animating on the ones means every single frame of the movie has a unique drawing, has a unique pose. In computer animation, it's effortless to animate on the ones because you just lay out keyframe one, keyframe two, and the computer takes over the in-between frames, especially if it's rigged correctly. So Shrek moves on the ones. Woody moves on the ones. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse is one of the first times they deliberately animate main characters on the two so that Miles is snapping from pose to pose. This is, you know, uh, this is why, especially in trailers, I was like, wait, is this stop motion? Is this like some fucking Henry Selleck shit? Like, what is going on? I've never seen CG doesn't even move like this. And they were so like key on how meticulous they handled Miles's frame rate that like during his training sequence, mm-hmm. he's moving on one frame and Peter B. Parker's moving on the other to the point where they're literally out of sync 
in a way that your unconscious mind can register, but you wouldn't be able to notice like with your eyes on screen. And then as they become more close and as they kind of coordinate their movements together, their movements are snapping together on the same plane, on the same frame rate. And uh, as Miles comes into his own, as he becomes who he is meant to be, his frame rate goes up, thus kind of like showing us that he is more confident, he is more whole, that his journey has been reached to an apex. And it's just another one of these amazing little visual clues and just techniques that they use that is completely different than what had come before it. And again, now it's being used way, way more. Uh, Puss in Boots, uh, Last Wish mm -hmm. uses it effectively. Uh, Mitchell versus the Machines, another Sony animated movie uh, by a lot of the same team members. Incredible use of the, these techniques. Like we're really opening up an entire creative dimension in what we can in the stories we can tell with CG animation because of some of the things they did with this. For movie. sure, but you got to be careful because I tried to move on a two the other day and I shat my pants. Hey, all right, ladies and gentlemen, come on, what are we doing here? Entertainment, huh? You got a little bit of that. You got a little bit of this, huh? You touching the thing? I oh, there's the a lot of weird around. nerd foam around my mouth. I got to wipe it clean. <laughs> I love it, Jake. No, no, this <laughs> is why I'm so excited to do these with you because you're so good at getting this shit across in a way that I, I, I kind of had that concept grasp and you just cemented it for me. Mm -hmm. But I love the training sequence uh, example, especially uh, as like what, like just, just such a great example of how, how thought through every single little detail of this movie was to try to get across what they were trying to get across in the script. That's right. Bringing it back to the script uh, just for a little bit before we get into the cast and everything. While Lord and Miller wrote the treatment for the film, it was Lord who wrote the story and co-wrote the script with Rodney Rothman. This was the first time Lord had written a film without Miller. And in fact, they I believe, uh, yes, they have co-written the second movie uh, together even. Rodney Rothman was a writer and producer on The Late Show with David Letterman in the late 90s. He worked on various television projects through the 2000s and later broke into film, writing the script for the Sylvester Stallone and Robert De Niro starring comedy Grudge Match in 2020 and 2013 and 22 Jump Street in 2014. He describes the screenwriting approach as, quote, almost a way of visually telling the story that's from inside Miles's brain. So it combines comic books and street art and all kinds of stuff, all kinds of influences from where he is and who he is. And that's how uh, that's kind of how it got kicked off. The tricky part of the writing was explaining the multiverse concept. However, Rothman felt, quote, that the people were ready for it, and especially kids were ready for it. This is helped uh, was helped by the sheer state of comics and movies and TV, and especially Spider-Man at that point. Rothman said, because we were able to push into this idea that, well, you've seen this story a bunch of different ways, a bunch of different ways, a bunch of different styles. So you've seen it on TV, you've seen it in movies, you've seen it in comic books, You've seen it in a lot of different ways. So that's a multiverse. So we were fortunate in that we had this uh, subject matter that just let us embrace the multiverse air idea from the get-go. And then he followed that with, it's a me, it's a Mario. And <laughs> I don't, I that can't. really doesn't make sense. He's, so I don't believe he's it's Italian. Not even, 
He he works for Sony Imageworks, not Illumination. Very he strange move. He has no ties move. to the Mario movie. Very strange move. Uh, legendary comics writer Brian Michael Bendis was brought in as consultant. We've talked about him many times before. He is absolutely uh, prolific, incredible comics. And I believe he has continued on and worked on the sequel as well. Uh, the initial cut of storyboards and animatics was was by the way over two hours long. This was due to Lord oh. Miller's approach. Apparently, they they love to just throw everything into the pot and then they shape it down to a titan form. So yeah. this is interesting. Uh, this ver- this animatic version of the movie uh, over two hours long is now known as the Into the Spider Verse alternate universe cut. You can only watch mm. it on the Blu-ray. I've only seen clips of it, but it uh, really changes a ton of things about. And it's fully voiced by the voice cast. Like oh, they, wow. like the movie, the story we see is something that came together relatively late into the production's life to the point where they had to like redub a lot of things. They had to like take scenes that they already finished the animation for and repurpose them, cut things out of order. It's very fascinating. But um, of the things that they change, uh, I think the most chief thing is uh, – Miles's roommate at the at the gifted school or whatever it is, uh, Ganki Ganki Lee, his role is much 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 more prevalent in this movie. In the comics, he basically serves the same purpose as Ned does in the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. The chubby uh, Asian Pacific uh, friend who's like a techie who like believes in adventuring and heroes and is kind of Miles's conscious for a lot of this stuff. In the original cut, it's uh, Genki, Genki who has to like, uh, like tell Spider-Man that he has to like save people. And a lot of his initial like training is done through DVD behind the scenes commentary footage of the uh, Spider-Man of his universe and it's not until later in the film that he finally meets Peter B. Parker. And like, that's his big opportunity to get a mentor. Um, the it's a lot of people have mixed feelings about it. Some people say that they like the friendship with Miles and Genki. Uh, other people say that it's like too long and too meandering and that the version we got is so tight and like perfect and goes from scene to scene so effectively that like this is good as it's ever going to be. Um, I know that if you do listen to it while the credits play, uh, a message appears that's like, wow, thanks for sitting through all that. Yeah, I bet. Jeez. Also, there was more of a developed romance arc between Miles and Spider-Gwen. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting. I like that idea, though. I like making it as expansive as, as you want and then kind of ch- chiseling it down to its tightest form, especially a movie like this where there's so many moving parts. I also wanted to bring up the other directors. The movie had two other directors, uh, Bob Persichetti and Peter Ramsey. Before Spider-Verse, Persichetti started as an in-betweener artist for Disney films, starting with 1997's Hercules until 2004 when he got a story artist credit for Shrek 2. And in 2011, he was head of story on Puss in Boots, actually. Peter Ramsey got work in Hollywood after college uh, as a storyboard artist 
for stuff like Backdraft, Independence Day, and Fight Club. Then second unit director on films like Poetic Justice and Tank Girl. And from that film, he got in at DreamWorks Animation, where he did story artist work on Shrek the Third and Shrek the Halls, baby. Uh, oh, Shrek the Halls, man. It gets me every single holiday, man. I can't, <laughs> I, I, I come, I cry. I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? I mean- it just. That donkey really just is America's spirit. There's just a lot of holiday essence happening within that donkey. Uh, His (laughs) first big directing gig for Ramsey was in 2012 on the animated film Rise of the Guardians, which made him the first (laughs) African-American to direct a big-budget animation feature. Rise of the Guardians came out and uh, came up another time in my research, too. I forget why, but that I've never I didn't even think I've heard of that movie. I always get it confused with uh, Legend of the Guardians, Owls of Gahul, which was Zack Snyder's weird owl war cartoon that he, <laughs> uh, the Titos, little moon blink us, is a line that has burned into my head forever. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk about the cast a little bit. I, I mean, I can't go in too deep on the cast because it is so insane. There's so many names. I mean, it's a big budget animation feature uh, in 20, whatever, whenever this came out. What was it, 2019? Uh, 18, um, I believe. And uh, so, of course, it is just going to be the most ridiculous star-studded ca- uh, cast affair. But the uh, let's start with our lead. Uh, is it Shamik Moore? I meant to look it up. Mm. I don't know if it's Shamik or Shamik, uh, but we'll just apologize if we ever meet them in person. There you go. He's our leading man uh, playing Miles Morales. Moore's family is originally from Jamaica, and he was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Moore started out in television on stuff like Tyler Perry's House of Pain, and later was a part of the short-lived sketch comedy series Incredible Crew, which ran on Cartoon Network. He had his breakout performance in film with the movie Dope, which was an indie darling. Uh, Shemek said, uh, there's a lot of me and Miles, I would say, but Chris and Phil said that it was the sweetness and the swagger that came through the character and the fact that it's a me. Don't. It's a Mario, which I just don't, I don't get how that character at all is like the other April, if you can go ahead and edit that out, I would appreciate it. April, if you go ahead and hit it. Oh. (laughs) Initially. God, they love bananas. They love bananas (laughs) so much. Love it, love it. Initially, they were looking at Tobey Maguire at, uh, for the role of Peter Parker. They ended up going with Jake Johnson, Johnson known for his role in the sitcom The New Girl, who's amazing as that as Peter. And by the way, so is Moore as Miles Morales. Their uh, but, dynamic but is so good. So good. So I mean, good. I understand the the character of Peter B. Parker is like literally just this hodgepodge of just baggage and like depression and midlife crises. But he definitely represents like the Spider-Man that I grew up reading in the 90s. Like Mm. this is the Spider-Man that like had to go through the clone saga and one more day. And like uh, just, yeah, all the bullshit that Peter Parker went through that I know of, Peter B. Parker reads as that guy. Yeah, Lord and I find said, it incredible. Lord said, the hardest thing in what moves uh, are left to us because other folks have been down these roads before. So a place that Peter has never been emotionally in a movie is not being the youngest guy in the room anymore. What's it like when he's being called upon to do something more mature and he's called upon to be a mentor? He doesn't know how to do that. He's never done that. So we thought that was just a really neat place to drive the character. That gave us some fresh ground and new moves. 
We try and approach all this stuff with a lot of sympathy. So that meant that we had to really get under his skin and feel what he was feeling. And it made a big difference. But once you felt bad for him, then he could say all those kinds of mean things to Miles (laughs) and you would forgive him for it because you knew what he was going through, which is so smart. And then Miller followed up with, it wasn't hard for us to relate to a 40-year-old tired guy. (laughs) So that was definitely also, the I think, Lord and Miller kind of coming through on that character. But going back to Tobey Maguire, they almost cast but they were like, wait, wait, we're already doing this like multiverse thing. It's going to be mm-hmm. so confusing if Tobey Maguire is in the ro- that role, but not, you know, as his character from the movie. It just would have been too much. So they didn't, uh, so they ended up uh, going with Jake Johnson, who again murders it. Uh, Leave Schreiber voices Kingpin. That was an early casting decision. He's phenomenal. And that whole design of Kingpin make, puts him in, I think, a new light for me, at least, like as a as a uh, comics fan and everything. I think they just did, had a great take on that character that made him scary and, and uh, a proper major villain for the film. I mean, that design is almost taken note for note from Bill Sienkiewicz, who's an incredible Marvel artist that we've talked about for years, Uh, specifically the Kingpin as this like, uh, like frame filling, just like blob of meat with like a little head floating in the middle of it uh-huh. uh, definitely comes from Sinkevich. They basically said as much, especially from the daredevil series, love and war. And of course it's uh, that performance that gave birth to one of my favorite memes, not just from this movie, but for, of all time, uh, it's it's the Mets. Let's go, Mets. Uh, April, if you could just throw in the nine-second clip of Kingpin talking about the Mets, I would appreciate it. It's not always about the money, Spider-Man. It's about the Mets, baby. Love the Mets. All right, baby, let's go. Get a home run, baby. Love the Mets. Let's go, Mets. Also, you have Academy Award winner uh, Mahershala uh, Ali and star of Atlanta, Brian Tyree Henry, voicing Miles' uncle and father, respectively, pulling off that pretty challenging job of giving us the heart of the movie. Uh, oh my God. Really, really well done. Especially that scene w- when he's talking to uh, his son through the, to, to miles through the door mm-hmm. is such a beautiful, wonderful, well-written moment in that movie that just really gets it across. The uncle stuff is I, so the payoff, the payoff for in the beginning of the movie in the cop car where he's like, you yeah. gotta say, I love yeah. you back. Love it. And then through the door, he's like, I love you. You don't gotta say it back. Just oh, gut punch. So good. Uh, and oh, and the and Uncle Aaron as the as I'm sorry, uh, Marshall Ali as the Prowler, who is such a goofy villain in the in the uh, Spider-Man canon. I've yeah. always loved that character. He had an amazing action figure back in the day with like retractable claws and a removable cape. He was so cool. Um, <laughs> with that amazing another meme that like gave birth to this uh, from this movie. Uh, that amazing like weird warped elephant scream something that's like it's pain and power and menace and sympathy all at once april i'm sorry to do this to you again if you can play that sound that is associated with the prowler it's so fucking just perfect piece of Mm -hmm. sound design Yeah, it really does such a good job of making you feel threatened by the character and in a situation where it's hard to make us feel threatened Mm -hmm. by these types of characters at this point in comic book movies. Uh, Haley Steinfeld, all all the Spidey variants are incredible. Haley Steinfeld playing Spider-Gwen, Nick Cage as Nora Spider-Man, and John Mulaney as Spider-Ham are so incredible. Is uh, Oscar Isaac as Spider-Man 2099, is he only in the post-credits? I don't even know if he... I guess he... 
I don't know if I he's... I believe that's him in the post credits, and he's is. in the sequel. I don't know if it is. Oh, he it's is not? like a weird, like, I'm... He has a very... I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. By the way, one of the also Kimiko Glenn as uh, as uh, Penny Parker, the anime. Yes, uh, oh which my God. if you are a mus- a fan of uh, musicals, it. that's like a, a a nice get. That's fun. But going back to the post credit, one of my favorite post credits I think I've seen in a <laughs> Marvel movie as Stop well. Stop pointing what a fun- at me. I'm you're the one who is pointing. <laughs> It's fun. It's like it's it's definitely giving you a teaser for like what the future holds while also being really ridiculous and silly and doing something the movie hadn't done yet with that throwback to the o- old school uh, Spider-Man that we that has now been like memed about so many God, times. The fact uh, that again, Spider-Man 2099 is such a fucking 90s poll. Yes, this such character a 90s was the king shit in 1992, and then was like immediately forgotten. Yeah, and of course they like make him the focal point of the next movie. Like it's that it's, I can't tell if Phil Lord and Chris Miller are like the best at making movies, or if they're just the best at making movies for me. Do you know what I mean? Right. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I hear you. It's so good. The directors talked about how much this amazingly talented cast influenced the script. Rodney Rothman said, because the script is a living, breathing thing in animation, which I think this gives us a lot of insight as to like how the script and the animation kind of are happening at once. It's not this very like by the numbers process. It's all constantly changing and evolving as they go uh, for years, you know, and there's a lot of give and take between performers and writing. Uh, uh, and animators in production. The design of the movie, everything. It's a living, breathing thing where you see what the production designer is doing and you'd say, oh, that's cool. I want to try to write something that feeds into that or that builds off of that. And Peter Ramsey said about the cast, they'll ad-lib lines or an attitude that if something works in the room, then you're automatically going, oh my God, how can we springboard off that or inflect these later scenes with that idea about this character that we didn't have before. Also, since a lot of plot stuff had to be kept as much secret as possible, the actors only got the pages for the scenes they were in. They were probably like Miles probably was the closest to it getting a full copy of the script, but no one had like a full copy of the script at any point in the making of it, which is a notable example of how fluid and uh, the script was and how late in the game they were making changes. There's a really heartfelt scene where uh, Miles uh, just lost his uncle. And uh, all the other Spider-Men come to console him and they talk about like, yeah, you know, like I lost my uncle. I lost my best friend. I lost my father. Um, And Spider-Ham of all the characters ends on this very like, you know, John Mulaney's performance is very heartfelt. He's emotionally strained. And he's like, the hardest thing about this job is that you can't always save everybody Mm -hmm. in the original script. Uh, it was originally a line where Spider-Ham says that he lost his uncle Frankfurter and that he was electrocuted <laughs> and it smelled so good. <laughs> and, you know, in uh, in the test screenings, they were like, this fucking ruins the entire like tone of this. Scene. That's hilarious. And, you know, one of the things that Phil Lord and Chris Miller do great in their scripts is they have tons of like really emotionally deep gut punches throughout, but they always cap oh, yeah. it with a joke. So that you get that feeling and then you don't get bogged down by it. They're really good at balancing like almost two real emotional like revelations with like a little hot cha-cha-cha to keep the fun level up. And, you know, they kind of adjusted the dials on the fly with this movie. Um, apparently the mouth flaps from uh, in that 
scene is the Uncle Frankfurter line, and they just recorded over it. Like, they didn't even mm. change the animation to make that line work. Oh, wow. Well, let's talk about the music. We, we've already briefly mentioned it, but the score was done by Daniel Pemberton, an English composer who recorded his debut album at the age of 16. And that album was good enough to get the attention of a TV director who had him scoring a documentary at the age of 17. His breakthrough score, though, was for Ridley Scott's film, The Counselor. And since then, he's done scores for Danny Boyle, Aaron Sorkin, David O. Russell, Darren Aronofsky, Guy Ritchie, and many more. Uh, So this guy is such a fucking pro on top of his game and uh, did such a great score. I'm glad you had that insight about him with the record scratches. That That is really fun. Uh, then of course you've got this banger soundtrack, which is done, uh, obviously with the approach that this would be the music a kid like Miles would be into. So it's a who's who of modern popular artists, Vince Staples, Nicki Minaj, Lil Wayne, Ty Dolla Sign, Post Malone, Juice World, and many more. It is, uh, just very strong apparently, I, I th- and very, and refreshingly strong for a comic book. Movie. Apparently they had the scene, uh, introducing Miles where he, they thought, you know, they, from the beginning, they're like. He's, you know, it's very relatable to like have your jam come on in your headphones and you start singing along and then you like realize you don't know the words, but nobody's around. So you just kind of like muscle through it anyway. Uh And they started animating that scene even before Post Malone came in and had the finished song for them. So they were just kind of like animating that scene on vibes for a little bit before it was finally there. I thought it was already I like just assumed it was an established song when I first saw it in the theaters. Yeah. I didn't realize either that was made for the movie. And obviously that song, then you start hearing that in like commercials and shit everywhere uh, for sure. Uh, I think I like Post Malone, but we're going to move past that. Uh, <laughs> I just started listening to this music because of this movie. And I was like, oh, fuck. I think I like rock star. So the movie comes out on in December of 2018. It becomes Sony Picture Animation's highest grossing film domestically. It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, with aggreg- with, uh, which aggregated over 300 reviews. It's just beloved. It's who hates on this movie. I just, only people who just really don't fucking like comic book movies uh, mm. or maybe animation in general have hate for this. It's just so airtight. It's kind of hard to deny it. The industry also, as you mentioned, saw it as a game changer. To, having such a huge influence on future films, Mitchell's vs. the Machines, Puss and Boots, The Last Wish. It, it's, I don't know how to go back. I, I you know, we kind of, we kind of gushed, but we didn't. I don't think, I didn't even really even give this movie enough credit when I first saw it. I think just because I was a little distracted. It was date night. We got into our cups a bit. I enjoyed it for sure, but it's the second time around watching it for this, for this, uh, episode uh really digging into every little inch of that animation and to the point where if i missed anything if i zoned out or happened to look away i would rewind and rewatch just to make sure to soak it all in and it's it's it really clicked with me this time how much of a game changer it really is in terms of in terms of that it's funny because now Winnie is obsessed with this uh, terrible show on Disney Plus I think it's called like Mickey Mouse Playhouse and it's so oh. badly oh toodles it's so like weird and badly like computer animated and everything's just so in comparison to the Spider Verse. 
everything is just so stiff and mm-hmm. bodies move so weird and like it just doesn't I think it just, I think it that one might be uh motion captured on top of that which is always gross with like really cartoony proportions yeah it was so it's so pales in comparison that I'm like oh shit I'm gonna notice a lot of this now how how just weird and like awkward body motions are even and much less like the visual pizzazz of of into the spider verse uh before we get into the sequel stuff uh, very briefly jake do you have anything else you want to say about the making of it or anything like that any last looks before we before we start wrapping this up just an incredible team of artists uh doing incredible things i think really the it was i honestly think the idea of uh alberto's kind of like bombastic experimental like two years of just fucking around and like trying different techniques and capturing different energies uh then softened by the more corporate more like steadfast established sony animation squad really did create this like perfect fusion of something that is both familiar and appealing but also incredibly different and exciting um, you know, when we talk about how successful this movie is, it's still a pretty niche movie in the, you know, pantheon of like animated movies. You know, this movie made less money than Shrek Forever After or Hotel oh. Transylvania. I didn't realize. Or, you know, Cars 2. Uh, you know, it's not quite, you know, who I'm, I have very high hopes for the sequel, because I think a lot of people have learned to love this movie after the initial box office release, but it's just I, I'm I'm it made me excited about the fact that 2D animation is swiftly dying. Yeah, I'll go with you on that for sure. I uh, I I kind of got the same feeling from it that I got from Lord of the Rings when that hit really big of really not being super sure about the place of CGI in live action films. And then having seeing like getting my mind blown, seeing them do it so well in those movies and then finding out, Oh, it's because they figured out the blend, Mm -hmm. that perfect blend between live action, uh, actual like puppetry, uh, you know, that sort of thing, um, model building and CG. Cause that's really what it takes. It takes taking all of these things and putting them together with the in the right mix to really pull off something special. And I feel like they absolutely do that in this movie in a totally wonderful new step forward for animation. So it's great. I, I just I just really cannot re- recommend this movie enough. If you've listened to this whole episode and hadn't seen it yet, it's fucking good. I, a bummer is it used to be on Netflix, I believe, and uh, it's not even on Disney Plus, even though they got a bunch of Spider-Man stuff from Sony over on Disney Plus now. But you can rent it uh on Amazon Prime, uh, which is how I saw it. And if you're really great like me and you only watched half of it and then forgot uh, and then didn't finish it for a couple days, you can rent it twice. And that's <laughs> the fun of that, uh, that they don't even give you four days to watch it like you got in Blockbuster times. Blockbuster, come back. We miss ya. All right, Across Ooh. the Spider-Verse. Since Spider-Verse had so much hype surrounding it, Before it even came out, there was actually a sequel in the works before the first film was even released. The sequel was written by Lord and Miller, along with David Callahan, who wrote stuff like Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, as well as The Expendables. Uh, The movie eventually got split into two parts. So now we've got Across the Spider-Verse and eventually Beyond the Spider-Verse. So maybe this is a spoiler, but I'm just going to say brace yourselves 
looking like it's going to be a big old cliffhanger ending mm. at the end of this movie because this is the first of two parts. New cast members include Jason Schwartzman as the main villain, Issa Rae as Spider-Woman, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya as Spider-Punk, among others. <laughs> the film releases on June 2nd, 2023. There's also a spinoff film in the works that will focus on three generations of female Spidey heroes. It's currently in production. It features Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman, and Silk. Uh, and that is also oh, being wow. worked they're on bringing right now. Silk in they're on bringing this? Silk in uh, on a different thing though, on like a Spider Women project, which should be really okay. interesting. Uh, all right, that's all I got though. Uh, just fucking awesome banger flick, really fun episode to get to do. Just uh, I really, really uh, didn't didn't even think I would appreciate it as much as I ended up uh, appreciating it in this second watch through in preparation for this. So. Uh, good on you, kids. Lord and Miller, I want I want a slice of what you guys got. Whatever fucking mojo you had, guys had going on. If I could just have a fucking <laughs> thimble of it, <laughs> you know, it's what I mean? gotten to the point where if I see a shitty concert, like if a shitty movie is announced, I have to double check if Phil Lord and Chris Miller are attached, <laughs> so I can be like, no, wait, this one might be actually amazing. Uh, <laughs> but like, anytime it's like. That's right. You asked for it. The Connects movie is right, happening. Right. That's right. Beloved toy, the Connects. Totally. Are, are coming to the big screen. I'm like, is it filler? And it's not. Oh, it's going to be dog shit. Yeah, totally agreed on that. Well, hit, there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us for our Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse episode. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly bonus content for $5 a month. You also get ad-free episodes. You also, also get uh, pre-sale tickets for our Release the Butthole Cut tour, lastpodcastnetwork.com to get tickets for that. Uh, And also going back to Patreon, at the $15 layer, you can join us for the Sunday study session. We watched Into the Spider-Verse this last time, and uh, it is phenomenal, uh, a great time where we all hang out and cover whatever we're covering that week. And we're actually literally... We will have already done it by the time you listen to this, but this Sunday we're going to do our production meeting uh, on on the study session as we regularly do every few months where we actually get with you, we get together and pick the upcoming episodes and slot them into a calendar. And so it's uh, kind of huge. Uh, yeah. especially that you one. You could shape the very future of this podcast. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Also, twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Uh, check that out. Uh, we I do Monday through Friday streams. Always a blast. Uh, catch me over there. Jake! Uh, follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. Follow me on Instagram at bestjakeyoung. And of course, uh, I also do a little streamy thing. Go to twitch.tv slash puppet jared or if you're uh if you're a tender little weirdo youtube.com slash puppet jared every thursday night 7 p.m eastern it's the cartoon dumpster a uh, madcap watch along of some of the weirdest terrible but yet fascinatingly bizarre cartoons of the 80s 90s and 2000s uh it's a grand old time if you like this podcast you will lose your fucking tits watching the cartoon dumpster hey and always remember never stop bruising and keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.